Hello and welcome once again to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm Jason Van Tatum of your host. And today, it is a gray and cloudy day. The storms are stalking us. My ankle, which just historically speaking, um, provides a much more accurate uh, forecast of the weather here in Estes, um, tells me that we may actually get walloped. I don't know. The, 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 the verdict's out when it comes to the weather bobbleheads. They are, uh, they're not sure if we're going to get walloped or if it's just going to be a normal spring snowstorm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to think we may be getting walloped um, just based on the pain in my ankles. They tend to be a much more accurate predictor of the weather than the, uh, the paid professionals, at least for me. All right. Well, today we're continuing on with our town candidate series, um, people running for town trustee. And today we have an, just a great conversation with Kirby Nelson Hazelton. And she actually turns the tables on me a little bit and starts asking me questions about um, the state of Estes Park and, and where I see us. And it just, it, it's a great conversation. So we're just going to jump right into it. Um, I do have some news I want to talk about. So it looks like I'm going to be signing the contracts with my first major book publishing deal with a major publisher. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say who it is yet. You've heard of books on their list. Um, many of their authors uh, debut on New York Times bestsellers. Not that that's going to happen with me. I mean, maybe. Um, but it's, we're, we're look, working out the, uh, the contract details. And the timeline, it looks like I'll be needing to finish this entire book, The Propagandist, which is a chronicle of my time with the Oath Keepers, and then also kind of talking about my experience with just being a, uh, a witness to the January 6th Select Committee um, about the insurrection there, giving historical perspective on the Oath Keepers. So it should be an interesting project. And, but the, the downside is I may have a little less time to devote to the Colorado Switchblade. I'll still be putting out a, at least a couple episodes a week. Uh, maybe not the volume that I've been doing like this month because I got to get this book out. I've got to, uh, this could be my big breakout novel as far as nonfiction goes. And if you haven't checked out my existing novels, I do have two novels. Uh, well, one novel, one novelette that are available on Amazon now. If you just go to amazon.com and search my name, you can see it there or go down to McDonald's bookstore here in town and uh, they've got copies of them. Uh, it's the Colorado Chant series, which follows an aging punk rock journalist um, as he navigates wildfires and pandemics and, and uh, has a supernatural flair to it. But it's also dealing with some very real social issues that we've gone through. I find sometimes it's it's easier to to write about a subject sometimes in a particular area by weaving a fantastical uh, fictional story around it and um, planting the seeds of curiosity within the readers going, hmm, what is that actually about? So if you want to check those out, Colorado's Chance, The Firewalker is my first full-length novel. And then The Red Witch and the Black Cat is uh, a novella that follows that story and, and takes place between the first novel and the second full-length novel, which should be out probably winter of next year. I've, I've, I'm already like 11 chapters in, so I've been working on it steadily, but uh, this, this new project's going to push that back. But, you know, hopefully for the holidays, we'll have that out and ready. So for those of you who've already been reading the Colorado Chance series, 
um, you'll, you'll find that interesting. So let's just jump right into the Kirby Nelson Hazelton interview. I think you're going to like it a lot. And uh, let me know what you think in the comments. All right, folks, we're here with Kirby Hazelton. And Kirby is running for um, town trustee in the upcoming election. And this is part of our um, our series where we meet the candidates. So hi, Kirby. How are you doing this morning? I'm great, Jason. How are you doing? Doing good. I'm doing good. Um, so let's just start off. Uh, how, how did you first, when and how did you first find yourself in the Estes Valley area? Yeah, so I've been visiting here ever since I was a kid. Uh, my parents used to take us out here camping at Glacier Basin Campground. Primarily, we've camped around the area in different spots, but uh, we came to Rocky Mountain National Park just about every summer since I was a kid. And if you've heard me speak about this before, you've probably heard it. So I apologize if it's a repeat for you, but I took my first steps in that campground. So I've really been coming here since I was a kid. And uh, we'd come every year in July for a week. So we were the pretty stereotypical um, Estes Park tourists or guests, as we call them now, I know. Uh, and then when I was uh, looking for a place to go to college for my undergrad, I certainly was looking around the country, but kept finding myself centered on Colorado. So moved to Colorado in 2005 for school. Where'd you uh, grow from? Where'd you grow up from? Uh, yeah, I'm from, originally from Chicago, just okay. northwest of the city. Yep. Grew up in the suburb area there, St. Charles. And there's, I feel like there's lots of us Midwesterners who, who gravitate out here to the beautiful Rocky Mountains. So yeah, so I uh, went to Colorado College, which is a small liberal arts school down in Colorado Springs. And uh, once I graduated, I knew I wanted to stay in Colorado. So moved to Denver for a couple of years. And during that time, my parents actually retired up here to Estes. So both my parents live here. And about a year later, my brother Graham moved here too, which if you go to Safeway, you probably know Graham. <laughs> he is the, the shining face of Safeway. That the I cashier. do know Graham. He's awesome. Yeah, he is great. He is. It's his birthday today, actually. Happy birthday, Happy birthday Graham. Graham. And I know he actually <laughs> listens to the, the podcast and reads my stuff because we talk about it and I'm checking out. So he's Happy awesome. Birthday, Graham. Yeah, oh, he's going to be so excited. I'll I'll make sure to tell him tonight to listen to it when we go to dinner. Um, and then in 2011, uh, my lease was up in Denver. I had just been in a relationship. I was wrapping up a job. And I thought, well, I'd love to give small town, uh, mountain town living a try. And I moved to Estes then. And I've been here full time since then. But my husband here, um, obviously built a career here and a life. And it's just been the absolute best thing that could have ever happened to me. What, what did you study in college? I was an economics and business major in college. So I've always had a, I really enjoy math, which is why I went to the economic side of it. But I've always really enjoyed um, business and honestly, the personal relationship building psychology side of business has always been really appealing to me of how people make businesses work. You know, you certainly, you can look at the math side. I like that part of it, of how to make the numbers balance. But what I loved more is how to actually develop businesses um, in a way that made meaningful connections with people. And so um, I really enjoyed having an economics degree from a liberal arts university was a really great balance of those things. You get the, the good facts and then you also get some of the, some of the more kind of touchy-feely stuff in business too. So... Yeah. 
What, what, what kind of work did you do here in town? What has your career been? Yeah, my first, uh, my first job was with Visit Estes Park, actually. Uh, I started there in August of 2011. And at the time, that was right after the vote occurred for the uh, 2% lodging tax to be collected. So that happened in 2010. They collected the tax for an entire year. And then, um, so that way, Visit Estes Park, or at the time it was the local marketing district, would have, um, you know, kind of a little bit of a reserve to operate on. So I came on right as I actually was employed with the town for the first four years or first four months, excuse me, with Visit Estes Park. It was still the Convention and Visitors Bureau at that time. And then on January 1st of 2012 is when we officially became, we called ourselves the Estes Park Local Marketing District, which is of course is the technical name. Um, and later rebranded as Visit Estes Park. So I did that um, until 2015. Um, and after that, I left and started to do some consulting work for businesses in town. So uh, still focused on marketing and branding. Um, I did a lot of that work with Visit Estes Park, brand strategy for the community and stakeholder relationships in town. That was kind of my focus there. So it was a really easy um, transition into doing some um, stakeholder relationships on a consulting basis and helping them with branding and marketing. Did that for a few years and then moved over um, to Rock Cup Brewing Company, started working for them on day three of uh, opening. And in April of 2019, uh, my husband and I uh, bought some ownership shares into the company um, and kind of, I would say, elevated our, our role there. So it's been a great experience of working for quasi-governmental districts or you know taxing districts. Um, building relationships in that regard and then working one-on-one with business owners and community members and learning what their needs were and then becoming a business owner myself. So the evolution of it has been a really fun and fascinating process. All right. So what, when did the, the, the seed kind of start growing of the, the thought process that I want to run for, for local office? Tell us about that Yeah, well, I moved here in August of 2011, as I mentioned, so I'd say probably September of 2011 is where the seeds started to be planted. Um, I've just always loved this town, as so many of us do. That's one of the best parts about Estes, is people are so in love with and passionate about this community. And I knew I wanted to be able to give back and hopefully do that in a leadership capacity. So um, I was interested in the idea of elected office pretty early on, but understood that there would be a lot for me to learn and listen to before then. So I tried to start getting involved in ways um, that I felt like would kind of, I don't want to say, you know, stack the resume is not the right quote, you're not the right phrase, but build the background and build the experience in a genuine and authentic way. So Right off the bat, I joined uh, the Estes Valley Partners for Commerce Board when I was with Visit Estes Park. And that, of course, is now um, has kind of evolved into the Chamber of Commerce. EBPC was um, a leading force in getting the chamber to be founded, um, which was great. But started there and, and added on board as I went over the past, you know, almost 11 years. Um, it's I, I've always had trustee in the back of my mind. The timing has never been quite right. Uh, my dad ran for trustee for a couple of cycles, uh, won the first, and served for four years. And I, you know, obviously, having two family members on the same ballot is is probably not the best political move. Um, and I also felt like I had more to learn at that time. Uh, 
And then in 2020, that was right after Jordan and I had bought into Rock Hut. And so um, wanted to take some time to make sure I paid attention to our business and made that a priority. Um, and so when 2022 came around, I just felt like the time was right. I felt like the need of the community was at a point of matching with my experience and skill set. And so um, it's been a long time coming in terms of in the back of my brain, but I feel like now is at a really appropriate time because of what I've been able to learn, um, the experience I've been able to have, and also where we find ourselves in terms of a crossroads in this community and some of the some of the things we need to remedy and plan for. And um, yeah, just where I hope we could go. Well, I think that's a great segue. Let's talk about the crossroads you feel we're at right now and, and what issues you're you're passionate about and really have a connection to. What 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 are what what are the important issues to you? Yeah, I I think the overall summary issue is that I feel like our primary economic driver, which is tourism, has grown so substantially and we have not been able to keep up in that same rate of growth with the infrastructure and the services that we need as a community to adequately provide for that level of economic activity. So in other words, we've seen significant changes in our quote off season, which when I was with Visit Estes, we talked a lot about not using the words off season anymore and still looking at things, using it maybe as like a shoulder season, but maybe it's just the winter season or fall season because we understood that it was really, there was no off time to come to Estes. And that shifted quite a bit. You'll see now as we can tell during spring break, as we can tell even during, um, you know, at Rock, we have the best November that we've ever had. Um, so there's really been this shift where there's not that quiet, roll a bowling ball down Elkhorn and not hit anything kind of season anymore. Um, but with that change, we haven't been able to adequately increase our change in terms of appropriate housing for workforce, childcare for younger families, many of whom are filling that workforce, um, the impact that that level of tourism has on our community, both from an infrastructure perspective and an environmental environmental perspective. So there's, you know, the word balance gets tossed around a lot, but I truly think there's, you know, the tourism, people can't see what I'm doing with my hands, but the tourism level has skyrocketed um, and the rest of it hasn't quite kept up. So for me, that crossroads, um, it, where we're at right now is it feels like we need to play a little bit of catch up while at the same time planning and visioning for what we want or anticipate the future to look like in five to 10 years. Um, certainly, I don't think any of us could have anticipated the pandemic or some of these other um, big national or global issues that have also impacted um, what things look like here in our community. But there's quite a bit we could do on a local level to start to accommodate those. So that's that's of the most interest to me. You know, all the issues that I think you know your other candidates have talked about on the podcast, um, like housing, childcare, those things I've mentioned before. I think those are common ground for all of us, certainly as candidates, but also within the community. And um, what what I'm hoping that we can really move toward in terms of our elected leadership are 
representative officials, so people who listen to and bring um, concerns of the public to the table in a way that feels productive and actual action, the doing. And that's something I've always highlighted about myself as I'm not a very good sit by and wait. I'm a very much um, active doer. And so I'm hoping that's where I might be of use to the community um, in this campaign cycle. Do you have any? Jason, I'm sorry. I'm talking just so long in my answers to all of your questions. So you just give me a wave. No, no, you're great. You're great. (laughs) This is, this is what this is for to just give you a place to just, you know, tell us about yourself and, you know, what it is your, your vision is. So um, do you have any, do you have any thoughts on, on how to approach these? I mean, do you have any things, any, any things planned as far as action we could be taking? Um, yeah, I but, think, um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, what, what are they? I think there've been a few things that have been tossed around before. Uh, I'm particularly interested in the idea of an increase in lodging tax. Um, and that is something I know Kevin's talked about that a little bit. That's actually something that has come up for many years now as, um, an option, perhaps one day for um, things like housing or some of our other needs. I I've, I know the fire district has a long list of things that are currently being fulfilled uh, by their, excuse me, tax revenues, which are, are substantial and wonderful. But um, as we see the effects of climate change and the effects of increased visitation on our valley, that comes with increased needs and um projects from the district. So it's come around a lot, but I think with the the Senate bill at the state level, that's um, allowing for marketing district dollars, could allow for marketing district dollars. It hasn't completely passed yet, but is expected to. I think that is of great interest to me in terms of creating a bucket of money that could actually be um, impactful in some of these changes. I think some of the, some of the solutions we've identified so far are good solutions, but um, are they part of number one, a larger strategic plan and like holistic comprehensive solution, or are they kind of band-aids on the sinking ship or the holy ship, you know, where water's coming out in all these different directions and we're trying to kind of slap band-aids on it to make sure, you know, we keep the water, you know, from sinking the ship. But um, I, so that's where I think what we really need, I, I could come up with, you know, have these ideas for what we could be doing for, to fill the gaps of childcare, to fill up the gaps of housing. But I think my overall goal would be to create a truly comprehensive approach um, that evaluates a lot of different ideas and options and selects one that we think will have the highest impact. Um, you, you know, those board, like those charts where it's like, lowest effort, highest impact, you know, and it's all those areas. And I think that's where we really want to be looking is how can we have the highest impact without, you know, really driving ourselves into the ground. So an an example, if I were to go on an example of that would be for the STR impact fee that I know is a hot topic in the community right now is what I wish that would have been 
a conversation is number one, I would have loved to see some other players at the table for that conversation with the town. And number two, I would have loved to have that as part of a grander slate of options to say, okay, right here's the STR impact fee. Here's the study completed and here's the results and the, you know, a proposed option, but also here could be if a lodging tax increase was, you know, of interest, here's what that would look like. Who would take the run with it? What does this business park have to think about that? You know, how about um, the ADU um, um, ability that just passed for, for our local homeowners? What could we do to better enforce that and, um, and share that and educate on that? And all these different buckets that the town board could look at um, the strategic vision and say, okay, here's what we think is going to look good rather than at least from a public perspective, the idea of like, okay, STR impact fee, we could do that. That should help with housing. Um, I think that I've become fearful that that is going to make people feel like, okay, we did something and we're done and everything's good now versus looking at it from a more long-term strategic planning position. Absolutely. Um, what, what other local issues do you, do you, are, are you passionate about? You give us just a, say one more and then I want to talk about your family and and just kind of yeah. more about yeah I um God I the protection of our natural resources is really high up the list for me I would love to see as part of our tourism agenda or you know marketing plan or or however you want to phrase it to be. I know they've done some work in this at the business park level, but I'd like to see that continue and become a more community-driven strategy of how to educate and enforce behavior from our visitors about protecting our wild lands, leave no trace principles, um, wildlife interactions, those kinds of things. I'm, I spent a lot of time in the national park and outside of the national park too on, on different trails around town. Uh, it's my sane, happy place for sure. Um, and I find that with every year that goes by, we just, we're not keeping up with the demographic of visitor who's coming and making sure they're aware of how to experience this place properly. And I think you'll always have, you know, issues of people who know what to do and still choose to do something different. But I do feel like a big piece of it is um, just being unaware and being um, uninformed about, no, it's not really appropriate to leave an orange peel, that it won't decompose um, at a rate that is number one, really desirable, but most, more importantly, it's not a, a natural item to be leaving in our back country. Um, that if it's not meant to be there, we don't have orange trees in Rocky, we don't have clementine trees in Rocky, so it needs to be on its way out. Um, things about how to use the restroom properly. I loved Rocky Mountain National Park a couple of years ago, did an entire um, PR push on that. And it got so much attention. Um, it was really, really great, but I'd love to see more of that kind of communication coming out and then a plan for actual, um, enforcement's uh, too strong of a word, but to actually make sure that we don't just write the plan and then never follow up to see if it works. Um, I'd like to see some implementation, I think is a better word there. And I think there's a lot of ways to do that. Certainly with, within the federal, you know, boundaries, that's, they take a lot of partnership with the national park. I'm not naive enough to think that's not an issue um, or an opportunity. But um, I think there's a lot of a lot of ways to bring back things like volunteer 
um, groups who come and help monitor elk rat wildlife experiences, working with the PD and the auxiliary officers on ways that we can support their efforts. I, I think there's lots of potential solutions there, and I'd, I'd love to see us um, really tackle that more head-on to protect the golden goose here and the places we love to individually experience and enjoy. Yeah, I mean, and this is an issue that that is happening across the state. It's not just our small community here. As these the numbers are rising with you know state parks and and, and national parks and such, you know, it's it's something that's happening everywhere. So an educational um, outreach program definitely, I think, would would do some good. I, I think they need to include how to use the the uh, turnoff lanes as you're coming up to the park too. Though. I agree with that. I mean, I've always joked that there should be a little bit of a like mountain town driving test that people yeah. have to take. Yeah, like a 10 minute while you're in Lions. Lions could probably make a lot of money off of it or something. If they had a 10 minute quick class, you have to pass before you come up to 36 and you get, you know, you get a little pass for three years or something <laughs> to make sure, you know. Well, Jason, I hope I, I don't want to, you know, take over this piece, but I'd love to hear from you on your thoughts for where this community is. I know you have an intimate knowledge of a lot of the things happening in this community. And one of the things that's important to me is that hearing from our, you know, constituents is the official word, but from our neighbors and friends about what they'd like to see for Estes. So I don't know if you're willing to share that, but I Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I think Estes is very much how Aspen was kind of in that crossroads you described in the early seventies. They kind of had this you know, they, they, they started growing leaps and bounds and, and people were coming in and, and they, they were grappling with how to deal with that. And I think we're kind of in our own little mini um, early 70s period right now where we're trying to really figure out where we're moving forward. But I think more than anything, the biggest issue I have is, you know, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not the most wealthy person. Um, and housing is something that has impacted a lot of my friends um, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how many friends that I've had that have come and become a part of this community. And then, you know, through, through no fault of their own, just, you know, a house gets sold or, you know, something happens and they've got to pull up roots and leave our community. And, you know, these are people that were contributing in, in very dynamic ways um, and, and adding to the richness of, of just that community base, um, you know, having, having. I have three daughters um, here in town, two of which are still in the house. I've got my oldest daughter. Uh, she's 27. She, she followed us up like your family did. Um, and now her and my granddaughter live here in town as well. Um, so child care again for me, you know, I'm able to provide child care for my, my oldest daughter, um, which we do every week. Um, but, you know, how, that's because she has no other options, you know, and she's lucky. She's one of the lucky ones that she's got a family and our family is lucky. You know, we inherited a house up here. There is no way that I could have come and been a, plugged in and become a part of this community if not for winning the house lottery and inheriting a house here in Estes Park. Um, it just would, would never have been, been a dream. Um, so I think and because we're so reliant on our workforce housing and, and our workers more than anything. I mean, the, the employment crisis has really underscored that over, you know, the last year where you just, there was a time you could walk down Elkhorn and, and every other building had a help wanted sign on it. Um, and it's still very much to that degree. And I think that's good because it helped raise that baseline, um, you know, wage that was being paid in town. You know, we saw it kind of 
creep from that $12 an hour mark up to $15 to $20 an hour, which is a lot better, but still it's, it's, it's not necessarily a sustainable wage. But it, you know, there are several parts to this. You've got to have the childcare. You've got to have a place to live in the first place. I can't tell you how many people I know that got here and started living in their cars. That, and that happens all the time. Oh, I'm losing my place. I'll be living out of my car for a while. You know, and that's not really talked about. That's not something that I think, you know, we it's better to not talk about when we're trying to present this image to the world that we're this great little resort town, but it's it's an issue we've got to find a solution to because all of business here in town, you know, it it's a part of it. And we've got to figure out how to do that and how to grow a more, you know, diverse, dynamic community. So I, for me, the big one is, is the workforce housing. And then, you know, the environmental issues we've seen, you know, living in Estes Park, I don't think people who don't live here really understand. Like we have a 500 year natural disaster, like every two years here. Like it's just part of the gig. And, um, you know, I, I really encourage to see kind of, I was talking with, uh, Travis, a town administrator in, in the interview I put out earlier this week and hearing about some of the ways that they are looking at rethinking power supply um, to really try to help with, you know, a lot of these big wildfires over in California and whatnot. It's due to aging um, infrastructure with, with power transmission. And uh, obviously with Kruger Rock, we, we saw a little bit of that here. Um, but they're taking a very proactive stance. I think that's great. I think we need to really be thinking outside of the box because I didn't, I was like, wow, yeah, we're actually already looking into that in some great ways. And I think we've got such a dynamic community here. We really have some smart people that, that are really wanting to, to kind of be the architects of our own future. And I think we need to really rely on, and we've, I, I've talked with uh, Kevin Bennis and, and a few other people. We're talking about maybe then starting some some podcast type episodes up, and it would probably include video of almost a TED talk with some really intelligent people in the community that you know are, are plugged in and have an invested interest, and and really beginning to to hear like, all right, let's get some really smart people in the room and start talking about you know some actual out of the box solutions that we could start implementing, you know, right away. Um, I think that's going to be important. We've got to really, you know, um, foster a community where, you know, thinking outside the box and coming up with new creative ideas isn't just dismissed out of hand, but like, all right, well, let's, let's actually look into that. Let's, let's see if that's feasible. And if we could pull it off, because man, I can tell you, I, I really think we can be very successful with being the, the architects of our future. And it just takes us communicating and finding the right people to, kind of tackle the right things. And I think we're at a push or a moment in, in our history where the torch is being handed over, you know, from, from those that brought us to where we are today to, to us, you know, this kind of Estes Nouveau where we are, we're the one, it's up to us now. Like we, we've got to figure these things out ourselves. So let's start working on it. So those are really important to me. I, thank you so much for that, Jason. I was taking notes as you um, as you were talking. I love architects of our own future. That's just it, if that doesn't encapsulate, I think how a lot of this community feels that, and, and I've talked about this a little bit about this proactive versus reactive kind of feeling that I, I feel like our community is just antsy to be proactive and they're wanting to be part of the design of 
where things go from here versus reacting to a lot of the things that have happened to us, especially in the, in the most recent past, you know, things like the flood, which that was um, the weekend my husband and I got married here. So it was really, really interesting experience. And then, you know, we, all the other things that have, that have happened both from a climate perspective, but otherwise things like the housing crunch. And I'm with you, Jason, that um, if I hadn't had, um, the support of my parents who helped us um, co-sign with us to be able to have our house, I wouldn't, there's no way we could have ever afforded to live here. And they're no longer, you know, on our house, we were able to, to, you know, have it just be me and Jordan, which I'm so grateful for. But in, ha- in telling that story to some friends, I'm finding out more and more, or have found out, you know, in the past five to seven years, there's so many of us who have the same situation where either, you know, people have had to buy really overpriced fixer uppers, but they've got some great skills they can bring to the table in terms of, you know, renovating and things like that. But they, they're still sinking a ton of money into a place, but they're, they're able to make it work or they have a parent support them or they inherit it, you know, the house itself or have some sort of inherit family inheritance that allows them to make the purchase. But there's, it's not the typical quote, American dream of people coming up here and saying, I saved my money and I'm able to buy this house. There has to be some sort of, not always, but often there it feels like there's some sort of like magic sauce that has things come together that they're able to live here. And I, I think that's just- I don't think that's what we want. I, I think, I really kind of believe that, that like, I don't know, the, the, everything in the universe aligns and like, cause I had no no notion of, of moving the assets. It just wasn't part of my thought process. And then suddenly, boom, we're here. And it's almost like this, this, I don't know, mystical vortex that brings the right people here. But in the end, we're the ones here now and it's up to us. We don't have anyone else. Like we've got to figure this out. And, um, you know, I kind of relate it to, I used to do first responder work up outside of Glacier National Park. And, you know, when, when people would call 911, it was like me and 12 other people. That was it. That's all, all there was up there because it was so secluded. Um, and it very much came, you know, fostered this. All right, well, let's just figure out how to fix this problem ourselves. Let's try to figure out how to how to, you know, keep this this alive so that we can get it to the right people. And I think we very much have to do that now. Like no one's coming to help us with these issues. It's up to us. But we're here and we've got the right people. We just have to work the problem. Um, yep. So, yep. yeah. We have to put those puzzle pieces in the right spots. And I think I love the other thing too, Jason, based on your, you know, sharing about the Aspen piece too, is that this is not unique to Estes. A lot of other mountain communities are experiencing this now or have in the past. But what is unique is how we want to approach it as a community. And I totally agree with you that we have this wealth of resource here already. There's so many extremely accomplished residents, intelligent, hardworking residents, creative. There's, we have this like gold mine of incredible um, brain power that I think it's just kind of community organizing and harnessing that. And then being receptive to, as you said, some of these ideas that maybe haven't, you know, maybe aren't what Aspen or Vale or Brack or whatever chose, or, you know, Leavenworth or, you know, there's all sorts of other communities, tourism-based communities, but what works for our unique needs and desire for envision for the future, because that's really what we're talking about now. Yes, we need to, to figure out what's happening right now, but we're talking about how can we, what can we do to 
create a better future for us than, than where we're at at this moment. Yeah. What's, what's, what's SS Park going to look like to my daughters and, and, oh, Jason, you know, to my you granddaughter. Sorry, you went away for a second, but you came back. Oh. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No worries. Um, so let's, let's just real quick, tell me about your family. Tell me about your personal life here. You know, do you, what, what do you do? What, what are you passionate about? Just let, get us, let us get to know you a little bit as a human being. Yeah, I'll act like we're having a beer at the bar, even though it's 9.35 in the morning. I mean, <laughs> we just came out of the pandemic, so day drinking is now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. So I met my husband, Jordan, here. Actually, speaking of, I met him at the Wheel Bar on a Tuesday night after I first moved here. So don't, no judgment. It was quite good well, that's you. an experience many of us have had. <laughs> Uh, and so we got married, as I mentioned, in 2013, and uh, we live here in town. We have two dogs, um, big proponents of rescuing dogs. So we've fostered for an organization out of Boulder for many years, and both of our dogs um, have come from them. We have Harley, who's um, a very fluffy Leonberger Golden Retriever mix, and then we have Sullivan, who's a Newfoundland Black Lab mix. He's ginormous and uh, only has three legs. So he's our little tripod. He's awesome. And then um, Jordan's parents are Chris and Gary Hazleton. They own and operate the Estes Park Views and they've been here since 1999, um, big part of the community. And then my parents, as I mentioned, my dad was a trustee, um, but they retired here in 2008. Both of them were educators for their entire careers. Uh, my mom was had uh, some time as a realtor as well back in Chicago. Um, but both educators who I grew up in, in that kind of household where education is, was number one and they're loving the retired life here. Um, my mom's done a lot of things in the community, including uh, stints on the fine arts guild board and, and working with the arts district. Um, she's, uh, leads, um, hikes out of the YMCA as well. And then my dad's on the land trust board currently works with our HOA, just, you know, involved with the community. And then of course, Graham lives here too, works at Safeway and True Value. Um, and I just feel like, how lucky am I that I have my immediate family and my in-laws so close? It's just a blessing. Jordan's sisters live, uh, one lives in the Canyon and the other uh, lives down in Windsor as well. So it's, it, we're just so lucky to have our family nearby. I, I, there's not a day that I don't think about that, that I'm not grateful for it. And uh, yeah, in our free time, as I mentioned, I really like to spend time outside on the trails. Um, I love, 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 love to hike and be in the backcountry at all times of year, but especially summer, of course. Um, I enjoy running. I coach our high school girls soccer team. So we're in the season right now. We just had our first game last night. We were not victorious, but we did pretty decently, I would say, for our first game after two years of no season because of COVID. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I played soccer my whole life. So it's been wonderful to be, have that piece still, still a part of my, my life and working with the kids is like, I tell, I told them the other day, I'm like, it's really the best part of my day um, is if I'm in a bad mood and I go into practice, I walk out feeling a lot better. So yeah, that's what we do here in town. Hang out with friends, all that regular stuff, volunteer on certain boards and and then hang out as much as we can. We just love being here and are so grateful for our life here. It's nothing against the Midwest. I love Chicago. I love to visit. It was a great place to grow up, but I don't think I want to live anywhere but Estes for the rest of my life. It's so special. Well, I, I, I'm on board with that. Um, yeah. I feel the same way. So um, is there anything that 
we haven't touched on that you wanted to? No, I, you know, I think I'd probably just close if we're at that point about, uh, or by saying that it's been really important to me throughout this process to be honest and true to myself and transparent about my thoughts and my ideas, uh, but even more so my style of um, leadership. And that is one of um, what I hope is strategic vision, but also a representation. And so this moment of time, I feel like is the right time for me to run for office. Um, and I hope that the community thinks I can do a good job for them. But if they don't, then I want what's best for Estes. And so I respect and, and honor what the community thinks is the best path forward. And um, that's been a, a big takeaway for me is is on this is, you know, I'm not an issue driven candidate. I'm not, I certainly have a lot of things that I feel like my skill set can help fix, um, but, or help, you know, remedy or, you know, can plan for or whatever the right. word is, depending on the issue. But if, um, but that doesn't, you know, doesn't always matter what, what just, I think it's about our community vision together. So I'm hopeful that if I were to be elected, that the community feels the same way that this is something that we do together. And that I hope I can be representative of the community's wants and needs and provide some kind of community organizing to help us get to that end result. So no matter what, it's been just a pleasure being on this, this journey of this campaign and talking about this with people all the time. It's like so nerdy, but I just love, I wish we could do it all day. It's so fun. Um, and I just really have appreciated the process of just getting to know people who are equally as passionate. It's been, it's been a blast. So looking forward to the results and what's going to happen next for us as we have so much good ahead. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to talk with me and my uh, audience and uh, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Jason, too, for doing this. I know this is not a necessarily a paid venture for you. So I really appreciate you investing in the community in this way, taking your time and, and effort to, to chat with us and share this in this capacity is really appreciated. So thank you. Absolutely. It's what I can do. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, we'll talk with you soon. All right, folks. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Uh, it was interesting having be, being the one being interviewed, and I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I really like where that conversation went. So we're going to go ahead and um, later this week, tomorrow, I've got another uh, interview lined up with one of the uh, other um, town trustee candidates. And if you are a town trustee candidate and I have not yet reached out to you, please reach out to me. I'd love to have you on the show. Jason at coloradoswitchblade.com is the way to get a hold of me and we'll set that up for you. I'm also going to be going over, I'm putting together the episode that will have kind of the ballot initiatives, a breakdown by uh, the city employees. They, they gave me little sound clips uh, to use that. And then this weekend for the weekend rant, I want to be taking on the issue of the uh, newspaper of record and whether or not we post public notices on just the town website or do we keep it with the local newspaper? And uh, yeah, I may have some controversial views on that, but I kind of have an inside view of what the archive of the paper actually was and how accessible it actually was, is. So stay tuned for that. And uh, we'll be talking with y'all soon. Stay warm during this storm. Stay safe. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason Van Tatenove. You're listening to the Colorado Switchblade.